We're going to be working through Psalm 145 today, and it's my privilege. I love this psalm, okay? We're going to go ahead and get started on this. Now, here's the thing. This psalm is uh, a psalm of David. He wrote it. And Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise. It's coming from his heart. It's from his pen. It's his mouth. And David wrote this in the Hebrew in an acrostic form in an alphabetical form, okay? And in the Hebrew, it was written that way to lend, to help us to, to, to memorize it. But I don't know about you, but I don't speak Hebrew. And the Hebrew doesn't help me, okay? So when we translate it to English, the form's no longer there. But that doesn't mean we don't memorize it or we don't uh, think it's still good, okay? It was just something that was used in that poetic form then. This psalm is a great psalm. God has given to us for a reason. It's in the scriptures for a reason. And I'm just glad that we get to go through it because if you know a little bit about David's life, you know he did some really great things. And he also did some terrible things. David was written about by God, though. And this is the thing I like because when you know David's life, you know that God had uh, uh, commended him. And that's crazy to me because David, you know, committed murder and adultery. But then God says, that he had a heart for God, that, he was a, that his heart was fully devoted to God. Those are great things to hear about yourself from God. I don't know about you, but if God said that, hey, Sean did everything I wanted him to, I'd feel pretty good about that. And those are the things he wrote about David. So knowing David's life helps us to understand this psalm a little bit better, and I think that's why I like it, because I know he was both uh, a, God who, a guy who loved God, but a guy who also failed. Now, here's the thing. I was reminded this week as I was reading an article by Charles Spurgeon that this is David's psalm. It's not mine. I didn't write this, okay? David wrote it. It's out of his heart, and we're going to use it as a model for our heart, how to praise and worship God. But we should remember that that same gratitude and delight for God should come out of our own experiences. It'd be weird for me to just be like, hey, I'm going to praise you, God, all the time for someone else's life. And that's perfectly acceptable to praise God for what he's doing in other people's lives. But true and continuous worship comes out of our own experiences with God. We can sing those praises. We can declare how great God is because what he's doing in our life. As we go through this psalm, we're going to look at who praises God, why we praise God, and how we praise God. I am not going to cut this psalm up. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to start now. So, 21 verses. If someone next to you falls asleep, elbow them, okay? We're going to read through all the way because I believe this psalm was meant to be read in its entirety. And then we'll go back and we'll summarize some verses and we'll look at those verses, uh, you know, some in more detail, okay? But Psalm 145. I am reading from the New American Standard, the NASB and it's the 1995 version. If you guys didn't know, if you're familiar with that, but it came out with a new revision. So that's what I'm reading from. If you guys care, that's what we'll be doing. Let's read. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. 
slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Father, as we go through this, I pray that you would reveal to us your greatness, that today our hearts would be filled up with the memories of how good you are in our life, and that we would see how good it is to praise you for who you are and all that you've done. Amen. All right, friends, Psalm 145, let's get started, okay? I will extol you, my God, O King. I love how he starts this, but you can see in these first two verses is a few words, and I just want to uh, give, I want to be transparent here. Some of these words sound the same to me, and you guys may have them kind of moved around, but the idea of extolling and blessing and praising, I felt like, what's the difference? You know, as I've read this over the years, and so finally I was like, I- I'm just going to go ahead and define it a little bit, because I believe that David used different words for a reason. There is a, a desire to have a different meaning here, even though the words seem very similar. So let's look at this real quick. To extol means to exalt or to lift up. Some of your versions may even say exalt instead of extol, right? Or to highly praise, bless. The word actually means to kneel. And in such a way, in this context, it's saying in representing honor to God. We're kneeling in a way that's showing honor to him. It's an exclamation of gratitude and admiration. I love this last part. It's to recognize his greatness and our delight in experiencing it. But let me make it really clear. When we bless God, we're not giving to his position. We're not helping him to improve in any way. In the same way, when he blesses us, our life changes. A blessing for us is different than when we bless God. It's simply saying, God, you are great, and I love experiencing your greatness. I will bless you. I will tell others about how great you are. It's a, it's a representation of our hearts. And to praise means to honor, to commend, to worship. So there are a lot of similarities in this verse. And we look at this, I will extol you, my God, O King. I love how David starts the psalm by saying, God, I will lift you up and I will highly praise you. I will put you in the rightful place that you belong, my King, in my life. He sits him on the throne of his heart. And that word, my, shows an intimate relationship. It shows that it is, that God is his. The King is his, okay? That's an important thing because I used to like asking this question to high schoolers when uh, I was volunteering there. I'd say, who is Jesus to you? And they would say, well, he's the, the Savior, okay? He's the Son of God. And you can see that the word the and my can mean a lot of difference. My Lord, my Savior versus the Lord or the Savior. It shows an attachment, a relationship. And I love that David points that out. And then he shows his commitment to praising God. 
You guys didn't catch that forever. He'll bless, I will bless your name. That means all of who you are, who you represent forever and ever. I think one forever was enough, but he adds ever. And then he goes on to say, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. He is committed for all eternity to praise God. Something happened in David's life that he would want to do that. That's what I believe. David had an intimate relationship with God. And so should we. We should care about those things. But why? Why should we desire to praise God? Why is he worthy of praise? In verse 3, it tells us. tells us why. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I don't know about you men, but maybe your wives, their greatness are unsearchable, right? You have not measured the depth of their greatness Okay, or maybe you thought you got there like 10 years ago, but God is not like that. I'm throwing that in there because humanity, uh, we can say, man, I feel like I got duped here in some way, okay, but not with God. You can't measure his fullness. The depth of his goodness is unknowable. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with him, and you will spend all of eternity with God if you know him. You will not get to that place to understand the fullness of his greatness. And I don't know about you, but I hope when I get to heaven that God will take me and he'll sit me in one of those recliner massage chairs, okay, and then he'll give me a replay of my life. And then he will take the time to reveal a little bit more of his greatness in my life. And he'll say, hey, 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 Sean, you remember that? Remember that when you were hurting and you were, you were, you were struggling? I was there. You didn't even see me. You didn't see me and I was protecting you over here. You didn't know what I was doing over there. But look, I did it. And I'll be like, man, great is the Lord. But even then, I still won't be able to fathom how great God is. So whether he does that or not, it doesn't change anything. He's still great, and he deserves to be praised. And I'm grateful that he is in my life. Verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. We may not know the fullness of God's goodness and his greatness, but David's clear that generation upon generation will share about it. They will tell other people. And you know, I can't help but be reminded of this idea of passing it on, sharing with our children, sharing with our loved ones, telling people in our lives it sounds a lot, alike, uh, a lot like what Pastor Dan kept saying last week. Don't let them forget. Tell them. You know what it also sounds like to me? Reaching your oikos. Okay? You expect the evangelists to throw that in there, right? I know you guys do. Okay? That's, that's what it sounds like to me. Generations will tell other generations. They will tell people about God's greatness. And what's he say? How does he say they're going to do it. He says, declare, meditate, speak, tell. Use your mouth about God's accomplishments, his works, his power. They'll eagerly utter and shout joyfully. And that, that word there, eagerly utter, in verse 7, it, it, it's defined as bubbling up or bubbling over to pour out. When's the last time you were at breakfast with someone that didn't know the Lord or maybe somebody that did and you're like, I can't help but tell you about how good God is in my life. Praise the Lord. It just comes up and out. That's what the idea here is. They'll, they will eagerly pour out the memories of God's abundant goodness. Folks, 
The generations will do this. They will celebrate God. And so should we. We are those generations. That's a part of what we get to do. If we know God, it, it should come a little easier. But maybe we get distracted. Maybe our mind goes somewhere else. I know. I can relate. But we should praise God. That's the truth. Verse 8 and 9. Everybody loves these verses. In the Hebrew, this, these verses are used in a lot of different places. The world loves these verses. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. We have a good God, a God who cares for us, a God who desires to reveal himself to us. And I'm thankful that David takes us a little deeper into his greatness here. Because he could have just left it and said, the Lord is great. But he gave us some detail of that, that he's merciful, he's gracious, he's, he's loving in a loyal way, he's good to all. Thank you, David, for telling us that. That was what he experienced from God in his life. But let me make it really clear, because I don't know if there's any confusion, but I, I can't not tell you this. There is nothing about your character or my character that caused God to love us. There's nothing special about us that caused God's gain or his gaze or his attention on us. It's simply and solely because of who he is. It's his nature. He is a good God. He is benevolent. He is compassionate. He cares. In Matthew, we see Jesus going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. God alone is good. He is compassionate. Jesus went and sought them out and tried to help. He preached the gospel. He healed people. But he saw them in their state. He, he showed compassion for them. Paul writes that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, enemies, disobedient, walking in a wayward way, that Jesus died for us. It's simply because of God's nature that we have the cross and we have a Savior. It's not because of me. I wasn't worth coming after in the sense of my character or my quality, but his goodness. The gospel is about God. It's about Jesus and his greatness. And how should our response be, pray, uh, church, to this? What should we say to these truths? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Which, that's what it means. That should be our response. Thank you, God, for being so good. Verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is good. And David continues to tell us, and I don't want you to miss this, who will praise God. Who will bless God? Who does it say there? The godly ones. Church, who are the godly ones? Is it somebody outside? Or is it somebody sitting right here with us today? It's you. The saints. The saved. It's you. Regardless of how wretched you might think you are, it's those who know Jesus. Those are the ones who will bless God. The ones who know Him. 
And what's it go on to say? How would they do that? They will make known. And that means to reveal. This lends to the, the idea that the things they will say, they will say to people who have no clue. They have no idea that God is this great or that there's a Savior or that they could be saved. We are supposed to tell people because we're the ones who know God. And I want to encourage you to that. That's you he's talking about there. You're the godly one. You should be telling people. You should be making these things know. You should be expressing the gratitude of the kingdom. The truth that Jesus reigns as king forever and ever should bring us hope and thankfulness. Listen to this. Rulers come and go, and so does their kingdom way of life. We see this. We know this. We complain about this. There's a new ruler. We don't like it. There's a new ruler. We love it. My life stinks because of them. But look at that last part. Jesus offers abundant life now in his kingdom under his rule forever and ever. We as citizens of heaven, saints of God should know that Jesus doesn't change. His rule does not change. He's a loving God, merciful and gracious, and that nothing about him will ever change. The world will. But ladies and gentlemen, this should bring us hope. This should bring us thankfulness that we have a king that we could sit under that loves us and cares for us and has offered this abundant life forever and ever. Verse 14 the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The idea here of sustaining all who fall is those who fail, those who have been hurt. It talks about the bowed down part. That's not in reverence. It's talking about those who are afflicted, those who are bent over with the worries of life and the anxiousness their situation is hard, and God says, I want to provide for you. I want to help you. If you would look to me, he loves to help his creation. Jesus said that they feeds the birds. The birds don't have to store up stuff in barns. And how much more important are you than the birds? Even the rain and the sun fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God cares for his creation. He told Jonah about the cattle. And Nineveh, he cares about even animals. But how much more does he care about you? That's what's important here. We should understand how good God is, that he's near to us, he cares for us, he's a good God, and he loves us. Praise God. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him, and he will also hear their cry. And will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. There's some conditional stuff here. But let's start off with verse 17. That the Lord is righteous in all his ways. People do not understand this. Sometimes I don't get this. I don't understand God's ways and his decisions. But the idea of being righteous means that everything he does is correct. The decisions he makes are right. He does not make mistakes. He does not make bad decisions. We can have great joy in that, knowing that God makes the right decisions always. And that feels good when you're on this side of eternity. 
But people shake their fist at God when tragedy happens. Why, God? Why did you do this? I hate you. You're a horrible God. Why would you destroy anybody? They don't know God. They don't understand. But even in our own lives as, as followers, we sometimes just forget that. I don't understand why you did this, God, but I know you're good. And I know what you're doing is right. And you don't make mistakes. Help me, Lord, because my life is burdened. I'm struggling. And then we know that God is there for us and he cares. He hears the prayers of those who call upon him in faith, believing who he is. Knowing who God is helps us because we call on him, believing in those things, knowing the truth about God. And I, I can't help but see the redemption in these verses here. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. When I think about these verses, it's easy for me to see the love part, and it's real easy for people to go past the destroy part. Let's just keep moving. There's another verse and we can finish up, right? Let's just move past that. But the question here is, who are the wicked? Who are they? And we shouldn't stop and go, how could you, God? How could you destroy people? I thought you were loving. What kind of a loving God would let bad things happen? What kind of a loving God would destroy people? What kind of a loving God would send people to hell? Let's go back to verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. All of his decisions are good and right, and that includes the destruction of the wicked. But he's a good God. He's gracious, and he starts with, I will hear your cry, and I will save you, and people don't listen to that part. So who are the wicked? We need to define this really quick. It's important. And the wicked is not as much as what we do as it is a position. It's a state. And the wicked are those who are guilty, and not just guilty of sin. Listen to this scripture. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty of sin. And it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What we deserve for sinning is to die. We all, every single one of you, deserve to be punished in hell forever, ever, separated forever and ever from God. That's what we deserve. But we're not all wicked at least not anymore. The wicked are those who do not have Jesus. They're those who do not have eternal life. They have no relationship with God. Those are the wicked. And if you're here today, or if you're watching online, and you have not come to a place of putting your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have not decided that he is your savior and understood all he's done for you, then the wicked is you. But I get to declare the greatness of God and the mighty things that he's done and the awesome acts so that your state can change today. God in his great righteousness and wisdom decided that he would step down from his throne. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus became flesh and he made his dwelling among us that he walked this earth and he lived it perfectly in order to become a perfect sacrifice. Jesus came with compassion to save us and he suffered and died on the cross, ladies and gentlemen, for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. He conquered death and he proved to everybody that he is who he said he is. He is offering forgiveness. He's offering salvation. 
He will save you. Listen to this verse. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here and you have not done that, then why? What are you waiting for? If you believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross for you, then stop and get right with God. Hear the call to repent and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. He died for you. I don't know how else to say it, but my life's been changed forever because of Jesus. We sang these songs up here. We talk about it, right? Because he's made us new. He did all these things for us. I don't want you to miss it. Put your faith in Jesus and come talk to me after the service. I want to help you in your next steps in following God. So remember, the wicked are those without God. Church, do you care? Godly ones, do you care? What about the people living under your home that don't know Jesus? We know the truth. We know God's goodness. Let us share with great joy and gratitude of who he is. Let's finish this song, verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. I like the way David kind of put a bookend here. My mouth will speak these things. My mouth will bless you. My mouth will praise you. I will tell other people. And it's like he looks into eternity, and he says all flesh will bless his holy name forever endeavor. Looking at the end of time, that's what's going to happen. All flesh will do that. Church, praise comes from a relationship with God. The more we walk with Him and serve Him and experience Him in our lives, the greater our praise becomes. And that's the truth of it. When we read about David in the Bible, when we understand his life, we can see that David knew God at a very young age. David trusted God with the bears and the lions as he protected the sheep. He trusted God against that great blasphemer, Goliath. That's the story that we all, oh, they slayed the giant. But he trusted God. He knew that the fight was God's. He trusted God when Saul, the king, was chasing him to kill him. But most importantly, David trusted God with his soul. He knew that God loved his soul and loved him. He was the forgiver of his sins. If you want to see David cry out for that repent, with that repentance and that forgiveness, go read Psalm 51, and you'll see how much he knew about God. This is where we experience him, is in relationship. And I have three points to just summarize this. Look, Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise that came out of David's life experiencing God. People who know God are people who praise God. People who praise God do so because he is great and they have experienced his abundant goodness. People who praise God tell others about God. Church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your walk looks like with the Lord. But I know that we have a heart, and we should as all brothers and sisters, to encourage each other in that walk following Jesus. And it's only in a relationship that you can experience the life that God has given to us. There are many Christians who are not experiencing that abundant life, and they never have. They heard the message of salvation. They accepted Jesus for the afterlife, the eternal life one day in heaven. 
but they didn't give their life now to him. That's not what Christ wants. We can't wait till we're in heaven to look him face to face and think that we'll love him and that we'll praise him there when we live the lifetime away from him. Jesus came to offer abundant life. John 10.10 says, The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have, came, I have come so that you may have life abundantly. And that life is life under his reign and his rule. The king was on the narrow path. Let me just give you an illustration. While we were all walking on that wide path. And where does the wide path lead? Lead to destruction, right? And here's the king, Jesus, saying, Hey, come into my kingdom. Come. Come. My burden you know, my, my burden's light, my yoke, it's easy. Like, just come into my kingdom. And we're like, no, nah, it's good. My, my path is good. And he, no, come to me. And then we enter into his kingdom just hoping to get to heaven one day. And we forgot there's a whole life to experience now. So church, that life can be experienced simply by following Christ and living out the call to be a disciple. Everyone who's called to salvation is called to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you want that? Do you want to experience that life that God has to offer? Look, I promise you, you can write it down. It's recorded. I promise you that if you will follow Christ and live out that call as a disciple, you'll begin to see God do things in your life and your mouth will begin to praise him because you've seen these great things that he's done. And then one day you will bless his name forever and ever.